And good morning to you. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Mike Kazarowski. I'm the lead pastor here at FAC. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as you've noticed, we've, we actually have a guest worship leader uh, this morning. His name is Mike Donahue. He uh, comes from another church, and we are just borrowing him for the morning. Yeah, we're thankful for him. He's a great guy. You may not know this, uh, but FAC is actually involved in a softball league. We have a softball team. Did you know this? And uh, we are actually playing his team this afternoon in the playoffs. And so we're friends now, but at 1.30, we're going to throw it down. And we're excited. I'd invite you to come, but I'm afraid you're going to see a different side of me than, uh, than I would want you to see. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts 13. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, read through uh, verse 4 this, this morning. We made it through two verses last week. We're going to double it this week and make it through four verses today. Uh, we, we took a look at the first two verses of chapter, chapter 13, and we saw that the leaders of this church in Antioch were praying and fasting. They were praying and they were fasting, and we explored what those two things are and how important they are as we seek to listen to the Holy Spirit. And uh, this act prepared them to hear from the Holy Spirit. Their hearts were primed to hear what God would have to say. Now, this is important that we are prepared to hear, but don't get me wrong, what's even more important than us preparing to hear, uh, what's even more significant is that God has something to say. God has direction to give. The Holy Spirit has direction to give. It's not as if God spun the world and creation into motion and then just sits back on the lazy boy chair and lets it ride out and see how it all plays out. No, God is actively engaged with his creation. And this begins with his work. Right, uh, His direction for us begins with his word for what he has to say to us. And if God Almighty has something to say, then we ought to listen. And so let's take a look at his word together. We'll read verses 1 through 4 uh, this morning, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. You pray with me before we begin. And Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. Uh, as it feels as though the world is falling apart, Lord, we know that you are still solid rock. Lord, we thank you for your intervention in a fallen world. As the psalmist writes, we know that you bless those who walk according to your word. And so as we look to your word now, Father, would your spirit actively engage our minds so that he may mold our hearts to your will and to your liking. We praise you, Father, for your grace and your mercy to us. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
John Piper, I mentioned him last week. He's been a great help to me these last two weeks. He has a lot to say on this uh, subject. Um, He's a pastor out of Minnesota that's passionate about world missions. And um, you'll hear me quote him a couple times again this week. We'll start with this one. He's written that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. But missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You see, when all is said and done, God's ultimate goal is to be worshipped, is to be glorified. That is his motivation in all things. If you want to know why God does what he does and why he doesn't do certain things that he doesn't do, it is with the purpose of being glorified. And he's not to be glorified and worshipped by just a specific group of people or a kind of people, but rather to be glorified by all nations. This way, when we're partying it up in heaven, there would be a representation of sorts from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And when the nations worship God Almighty in heaven on that day, this will symbolize creation as a whole coming back to its original design, a perfect union with our creator. But in order for the nations to worship God, we must send to the nations. The word sent It's one of the most important words in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful and powerful words in in Scripture, and the gospel does not happen without the word sent. Ever since I began prayerfully preparing this sermon, the sermon for this text, that word sent has been haunting me in a beautiful way. The first several verses of Acts 13, we see that Paul and Barnabas, Uh, or or Saul and Barnabas, are sent. And this is the first time that we see intentional, organized, planned overseas missions carried out by representatives of the church. To this point, as we've been walking through Acts, we've seen uh, missionary work uh, happen seemingly by accident, I'll buy it under God's sovereignty. But now here in Acts 13, it gets really exciting because we have the church in Antioch who for the first time in Acts is deliberate and intentional in their decision to send, to send missionaries out. This passage is the birth of a missionary movement like we haven't seen uh, before. And there's much to learn about the surrounding circumstances. And so I want to walk through this passage together with you. First, I want us to take notice of who the author of this call is. Right? It's not, it's not a brainchild of one of the leaders or church members in Antioch. As sharp as these men are, this idea to send out Saul and Barnabas does not originate with them. No, instead, this call comes from the Holy Spirit. As the leaders in the church in Antioch were praying, it's the Holy Spirit that communicates with them. This verse makes it very clear that this mission is initiated and directed by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does he say? 
the Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now let's unpack that a little bit. First, there's a command to set apart Barnabas and Saul, to put them off to the side, essentially. This is separation. The Holy Spirit is telling the church that Barnabas and Saul, who are currently joined together with you or are with you, will now be separated from you. They are marked off, if you will. In other words, the Spirit is telling the church, hey, you're doing your thing, which is great. We want you, you know, the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to continue to do your work where I have placed you. Keep doing that, but your time with Barnabas and Saul is coming to an end. They will be separated from you. They will be set apart for a purpose. Whenever we set anything apart, typically we set it apart for purpose. Think about that with me. We, we, we set apart income into a savings account. Why? For a purpose, so that we can use it another day in another way. We set apart even time in our busy day-to-day schedule sometimes so that we can enjoy a vacation or enjoy company with guests from out of town or family and friends. Some of us even simply put set apart food on our plate, right? To save the best for last. Why are Barnabas and Saul set apart? What's the purpose of them being set apart? Well, the Holy Spirit tells them, set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul. Why? For the work to which I have called them. They will be separated from the church in Antioch because God has called them to go do work. Now, we know that this is a very specific work at that, but this right here is a very general statement from the Holy Spirit. Right here in verse 2, if you were to pick up Acts 13 and 2 and read it with no other biblical knowledge, it would be appropriate to ask the question, well, what is the work that the Holy Spirit has called them to do? What are they going to do? I mean, are they going to go like plunge toilet somewhere? Is it like, what is it? This verse really doesn't need further explanation here because frankly, as we've tracked through Acts, we already know at least what Saul has been called to. Right? If you revisit Acts chapter 9, you come across Saul's conversion in Damascus. We've been there. We've studied that. We've, we've done that. And, and, and when Saul is converted, he goes into Damascus. He's blind. And then God calls a, another disciple, Ananias, to meet Saul and minister to him. Now, if you recall, Saul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was going to have them arrested. And so Ananias shows some reservation uh, about going and meeting Saul as God has commanded him to do. And when Ananias has these reservations about visiting with the Saul, the Lord puts him at ease by saying, go for he, referring to Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In the years leading up to Acts 13, too, to this church in Antioch where they send him out, in the years leading up to that moment, Saul already knew that he was called to evangelize the Gentile world. And so here's the interesting thing about Acts 13. It seems as though the Holy Spirit doesn't speak 
for the benefit of Saul and Barnabas, because they already know. They already know what they've been called to, that they've been called to the mission field. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak for the benefit of Saul and Barnabas. It seems as though that he speaks for the benefit of the church leaders. Saul and Barnabas are probably already convinced that this will happen. It's the church leaders, though, that need to be on board. As one commentator writes, Acts 13 is God's way of showing the leadership of the church something of his plan for Barnabas and Saul so that they might willingly release them from their responsibilities at Antioch and prayerfully support them in their God-given mission. This shows us the active role that the local church plays in missionary work. This passage shows us that the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat. The call originated with the Spirit. And even down in verse 4, if you you could look there, uh, yes, the church sends them out from Antioch. Uh, It says that in verse 3. But in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, you see, it was really the Holy Spirit that sent them out. Yes, the Spirit's in the driver's seat, but he uses the local church as the conduit, as the channel by which missionaries and people called into ministry are sent. There is great value in a local church that recognizes giftedness, affirms people in their calling, and then supports them as they send them out the door. What I really want us to take from this, what this, what this, these few verses are communicating to us is that there are two essential components to world missions. We have people who go and we have people who send. We have goers and we have senders. And if you're a believer in this room, you are called to be engaged in world missions. And so that leaves you to fill one of these two roles. You can either passionately go or you can passionately send. If I could offer up another Piper quote to you, he has some, once again, strong words to share on the matter. He says that there are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. So which of the three will you be? In this passage, Barnabas and Saul are the passionate goers. Right? They're the ones that are willing to sacrifice everything they know and love so dearly so that the world may know the name of Jesus Christ. We still need goers. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 9. He told his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. It's not as if we're laying around with no work to do. There's plenty of work to do. 
No, Jesus says the progress isn't dependent on the volume of work, but the commitment of the workers. And so I would encourage you even this morning to consider a very important but somewhat dangerous question. Is God calling you to go? Is God calling you to go? And I would plead, would plead with you not to shut a door that God hasn't shut yet. If you do feel that tug on your heart that God may be setting you apart to go, you're in the right place. The very root of our denomination is missions. It's our middle name, if you will. The Christian and Missionary Alliance didn't even originate as a denomination. It actually started out as a movement of churches from several different denominations that pooled their resources to support those who were called to go because they were so passionate about sending people into the world. And so if the Spirit is moving in your heart to go, would you please let us help discern that call? Would you let us help you? Just as Barnabas and Saul did so many years ago, we still need people who will raise their hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. But equally important to that, we need churches on the home front to raise their hands and say, here we are, Lord, use us to send them. This is what the church in Antioch is, a sending church. Not everyone is called to go. But if you're not called to go, then guess what? From a biblical standpoint, that only leaves you with one option, to send. If you are a believer sitting in this room and you are confident that God is not calling you to go, you must ask the question, what part am I playing in sending those who are called to go? Mike, how can I be a passionate Sender, what can I do this very day to fulfill my call on my life to send? Three things come to mind. First, we can affirm. We can affirm. When the church in Antioch was convinced that Barnabas and Saul were called to go, verse 3 says that they laid their hands on them and then sent them on their way. This is an act of commission. It's an act of affirmation. They are committing Barnabas and Saul to this work. This action is is the leaders sending Saul and Barnabas with their blessing and identifying that they approve of this move. They are validating, if you will, that this is indeed from the Lord. Earlier, I mentioned that God uses the context of the local church as the channel to send missionaries and affirmation is a critical element of that process. When someone is specifically called into ministry or missionary work, God will use the local church to affirm that call. If you are truly called into ministry, the church will see it too. If you are truly, if it's truly a call from God, not only will God impress this on your heart, but he will impress it on the hearts of the church that surrounds you. And the reason this is so important is because anybody can stand up and say, I've been called specifically to go into pastoral or missionary work. 
But once again, the Lord will use the church to validate that. This way, such a huge decision is not being made in a vacuum at an individual level, but at the collective level of the greater body. We can send passionately by affirming. Second, we can send passionately by equipping. Perhaps you've heard the trite phrase that uh, God doesn't uh, call the equipped or the qualified. He equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. As you search through scripture, you find that calling typically precedes preparedness. When someone was called in scripture, typically their first reaction was, not me. God, you've got the wrong guy. Think of Moses. Think of Gideon. Think about the disciples who spent three years under the training and teaching of Jesus before they were officially sent out. So please know if you are called to go, training and education is critical. Missionaries prepare for years before they even step foot on the mission field, and pastors should do the same. And such training and education and preparation should be done in the context of the local church. There's a pastor named Dave Harvey who wrote a book titled, Am I Called? It's a book that's written to help someone discern their call into ministry. I would highly recommend it if the Spirit's kind of tugging on your heart this morning of whether or not you should consider ministry on a vocational level. In the book, Harvey mentions that where you train for ministry matters. And he uses an excellent illustration to communicate this. Listen to what he writes. He he writes, suppose you had a guy whose greatest dream was to make donuts. He couldn't imagine a life where he wasn't covered with flour and sugar, helping out in the little shop where he grew up. A dream stirs in his heart. He wants to make donuts for those folks the rest of his life. So what do we do with Donut Joe? If we follow the common model for training, we tell him he's got to leave the donut shop and go to donut school. Study the history of donut making. Parse the intricacies of recipe texts. Be able to cogently argue the merits of traditional donut design versus modern fat-free varieties. You get the idea. Joe becomes a professional now. But the path takes him far away from the neighborhood shop where he's always dreamed of carrying out his vision. Harvey goes on to explain in his book, that the burden of responsibility is on the local church to identify those who are called and equip them appropriately. This is the second way that we can send passionately by first affirming and second, equipping those who we've affirmed. And finally, a third way that we can be passionate senders is we can support Our relationship with those sent doesn't end after we send them. You see, to send is not a one-time event. It's a continual process. We continue to send by supporting them in the field. 
And we can support first and foremost through prayer. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for them by name. You may not know this, but here at FAC, we have missionaries that we regularly support. And frankly, we should do a much better job at keeping their names and their faces out in front of you on a regular basis so that you can pray for them. Know our missionaries and pray for them. And this is something that you can start today. Pastor Scott, he's our staff person in charge uh, of overseeing um, our missions work, our, our global reach, if you will, here at FAC. And he's put together this booklet that is a, a guide to world missions. And in this booklet, lists all of the missionaries that FAC supports. You can get these out of the information desk. This is from 2019. We're getting an updated one from 2020. If we're honest, we don't want anything to do with 2020 anyway. So 2019 works just fine. Uh, grab one of those today and begin praying for them by name. Look at their pictures and see where they're serving and learn about them. Support them. Pray for them. Once again, it's available at the information desk and it serves as a great tool for us to support our missionaries. A second way we can support, obviously, is through giving. Missions work takes resources. As we travel through the missionary journeys with Saul, there was three of them in Acts that we're going to walk through together. Um, There were many local churches that supported him financially. Uh, He received provision from local churches. And uh, once again, you may not know this, but the Alliance, our denomination, has a funding system called the Great Commission Fund. This comes straight from the Alliance's website itself. The funding system underwrites a vast majority of the ministries of our more than 700 international workers and U.S. church planters, empowering them to focus on their callings. If our missionaries were truly sent to go, they shouldn't have to worry about taking time that could be used elsewhere to try and raise money. And so how can we support, how can we demonstrate our passion to send today? You could write a check today and designate it to the Great Commission Fund. Drop it off on the offering plate, and we will make sure that it gets where it needs to go. And you will today have demonstrated that, Lord, while you have not called me to go, you have called me to send, and I'm going to literally put my money where my mouth is. by passionately sending. To fill fill our call and commitment to send, we must affirm, and we must equip, and we must support. This passage has just wrecked me ever since I began studying it. As I prepared and reflected on this passage, God has impressed it on my heart that FAC needs to be better about being a sending church. See, I believe that God is actually honing in on vision and direction for FAC and prompting us to send. I want FAC to turn into a leadership factory. I want to raise up leaders and send them out. There are some of you that I want to send very far away. As we've spoken about becoming missional in a purposeful church, I believe there needs to be a shift 
and our mindset, a transition in how we view the mission of FAC. I, I think we need to begin reevaluating some things. As J.D. Greer, who's a pastor out of North Carolina, puts it, a church's success should not be judged based on its seating capacity, but rather on its sending capacity. And if I'm honest, now might be the appropriate time for us here at FAC to take a deep look into our hearts and evaluate what we're doing and ask the question, are we ascending church? Is it a part of our very fabric to raise up Christian leaders to be a leadership factory and then send them out? Or are we too concerned with what happens within these four walls? It might be time to start reevaluating our purpose and vision because this pandemic has changed things. As much as you and I strongly desire for things to go back to the way they were, it most likely won't anytime soon. And maybe that's a good thing. Perhaps we need to view this struggle as an alarm clock from the Holy Spirit calling on us to wake up. Perhaps we need to seize the moment at hand, not as an obstacle to overcome, but an opportunity to refocus ourselves. Are we throwing resources at things that don't bear fruit? Are we putting resources towards programs and events that can no longer bear fruit in the aftermath of a pandemic? Are we willing to take risks, faith-filled risks, and try new things, or are we going to cling to the old and potentially ineffective way of doing church? This pandemic may be an opportunity for us to take a real serious look at what we're investing our resources in. And that's scary. If I can be very transparent and honest with you, that is a scary prospect. If not for you, at least for me. Because frankly, to send is to sacrifice. Consider the church in Antioch. If you recall back in Acts 11, the sole purpose that Saul came to the church in Antioch was to teach them. And other than Jesus, Saul is the most influential man in Christianity. And then you've got Barnabas, who is known for his generosity and his encouragement and his care and his support. These two are top leaders in the church. So imagine with me, if you will, what the church in Antioch is thinking. It would have been so easy for them to say, well, we want to have the best teaching and preaching ministry there is. So Saul, we're actually going to hold on to you. We don't, you're not going anywhere. And we want to have the best care ministry there is. And so Barnabas, we're going to hold on to you. You're not going anywhere. You can imagine they've spent at least a year uh, with, with Saul and Barnabas and they've seen how talented they are and they've seen how gifted they are and they've probably grown to love men and they would do anything to just hold on to them. But the Holy Spirit says, no, set them apart because I have other work for them to do. I have other plans and you need to be willing to let them go. And the church leaders in Antioch are so obedient to the spirit that they let go and release Barnabas and Saul. They lose gifted leaders so that others might gain gifted leaders. The great commission is so important to the church in Antioch 
that they are willing to take steps and make decisions that seem harmful to their church in order that God's kingdom would win and thrive. I've heard the illustration that ascending church is like a farmer, right? When a farmer plants a seed, he is actually relinquishing the right to that seed and even destroys that seed when it's planted in hopes that it reaps a harvest that someone else will benefit from and even get to take credit for. This kind of vision and direction is costly. It hurts on the home front, but it benefits the greater body. And when we release people and when we release resources, it's a statement of trust and faith that we are more dependent on God to sustain us than the blessings he gives us. It's a statement of trust that while we may be losing something, God will sustain us and bless us in the process. And we have to remember that this is the model that God put before us in the person of Jesus Christ, right? To send and to sacrifice is the very DNA of the gospel. Jesus was referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament. God the Father sent his one and only son. And Jesus had to be sent to us because there was no way for us to get to him. In this life, there is no meeting God halfway because we are utterly hopeless in our sin. And so Jesus had to be sent all the way to snatch us up out of darkness. So God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to meet us right where we are and to sacrifice that he might die in our place and take on the sins of the world so that we may be reconciled to God, so that we with the nations, when all is said and done, may glorify and worship him. And so as Jesus was sent, we're called to follow suit and send others into the world so that the world may also enjoy Jesus' great name. Would you pray with me? And Heavenly Father, We praise you that you sent Jesus. Father, we were helpless. We were hopeless in our sin. We did not desire you. We did not seek you. We did not know you, but you made yourself known to us. And we praise you for that. Heavenly Father, I would ask that um, we would follow the model that you have put before us and, and, and send others to proclaim the name of Jesus, to tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it's here in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that even within FAC, you would raise people up. I pray that even in this moment that you would stir in someone's heart that they are called to go to the ends of the world. We thank you, Father. We love you, and we love you because you first loved us. And in your holy name I pray, amen.